Thanks, everybody. It's a privilege to be here. Um, welcome this morning in the Zion Church. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we've been talking a lot about a new name uh, the last couple of weeks, and um, I'm going to give my two cents as well. <laughs> um, first of all, um, as I really felt... You know, if you guys want to have a, a little bit of compassion with this poor, um, old, slightly overworked doctor, <laughs> um, will you do one thing for me this morning? Okay. Um, please open your hearts. Open your heart spiritually. You know, acknowledge your spiritual person. Um, acknowledge, you know, like God, by showing his presence and his nature this morning, is going to change things in your life. And... Um, I, I truly believe that, you know, one of the good things uh, about asking hard questions, like Pastor said, is that uh, hard questions make you think. But I also believe that God, by just showing his nature and his reality, does the hard questions in your spirit. And he will position himself. But he can only do that if we really open ourselves for that. And we are willing, you know, to be asked the hard questions. And normally the hard questions start after the, or in the end of the sermon, but this morning they were already before the sermon. <laughs> and we talked in our group, we talked actually quite good about it, and it was awesome to glorify God in these kind of things. Um, so I want to talk about, um, you know, like my message this morning is called The Two Mountains, The Sequel. Because we talked last week also <laughs> about two mountains. <laughs> so uh, so I, I just want to talk about... I just want to talk about like a scripture that was mentioned, you know, like, um, you know, shortly by pastor a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to go, uh, you know, into that, um, yeah, in, in a slightly different way. And I, I just love that. I, I love that God will, will do something about it. Um, if you guys know me, you know that I love um, John Bunyan. Do you guys know John Bunyan from Pilgrim's Progress? Now, nah, um, it's, it's really good to know that uh, Pilgrim's Progress is the book that is, after the Bible, been translated in the most languages. And it's not for nothing that they've done that, because it is a, an, an excellent book that describes the journey that a Christian has to go through. And um, I, I love how the book starts. The book starts with um, a guy called Christian, who is just like you and me. And he, one moment starts you know, reading the Bible, starts reading an old book. And by reading the Bible, he gets an awareness of the presence of God in his life, a reality of the presence of God. Through that presence, God shows him a burden. And as the burden starts growing on his back, he starts becoming more and more uncomfortable with the life that he's living. Because that's what the presence of God does. <laughs> it starts making you more uncomfortable with the life that you've been living. Um, he notices that the things that satisfied him before don't longer satisfy him. And he starts changing. But he's, he doesn't have a solution yet. He just notices that the burden is getting bigger and bigger on his back. And one day, there's a guy called Evangelist, who is an evangelist. <laughs> this book is really as simple as it gets. <laughs> um, and the evangelist gives him a letter. And the letter says, run from the wrath to come. The revelation that God gives him 
is that his journey is about to start. He's about to start a journey seeking for the presence of God. And that presence of God will lead him to, tr- to two different mountains, also in that book. And it's the same two mountains that we're going to talk about this morning. What does he do? There would have been two options at that moment. He could have accepted it, just stood by and said, okay, I don't need to run from the wrath to come. There's no need for me to take any action. But he did. He actually started running. And the presence of God compelled him to trust him and start running. And and in the book, it's very clear that um, that is not easy. Because while he's running out of town, you know, towards his goal in his Christian life, there's uh, his family shouting from the sideline, saying, what about me? (laughs) Didn't you forget about me? Why are you running from? Are you running away from us? And there's his friends that are shouting. And they're shouting, um, you know, like there's there's never going to be any, uh, you know, why are you running away? You have everything in this town that you need. Everything that you would like as a human being is in the town where you're living in. But once you have the presence of God in your heart, and in your spirit, you will never be satisfied in the town where you came from. Um, So what does he do? He does what any grown man would do. He puts his fingers in his ear (laughs) and starts running. And he shouts, and, and I love the words that he shouts. He shouts, life, life, eternal life and goes out of the town. And I thought to myself, that is um, a beautiful thing. Um, You know, we've been talking about the revelation of God and about the names of God. And, you know, throughout the word, you see that a a lot of people name others, but only one person names himself, chooses the names that he wants to have, and that person is God. And and. And God wants to be known in a certain kind of presence. And he shows that, um, you know, in Exodus 3, verse 15, it says, like, this is my name forever and thus to be remembered throughout the generations. So he has a name. And that name is full of meaning and full of purpose. He works through names. He works through uh, locations, principles, concepts. And I want to talk about one of these concepts. Um, and I would call it a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that is the, the mountain, one of the two mountains that we're going to talk about today. Um, so if you have your Bible, let's open at Hebrews 12, verse 18, and see what God wants to say this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, And a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. This is the first mountain. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But it's the second mountain. But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect. And I want to continue here. And, and, and Because it goes on. Because he explains more. 
which we're going to look at. And to Jesus, the mediator of the, the new covenant, and to be sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. Better. Focus on that. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So that's why I wanted you to open your hearts because we don't want to refuse that person while he is, he is he's actually you know, speaking to us. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven at the time. His voice shook the earth, but now as promised, yet once more I will shake. Not only the earth, but also the heavens. No shaking of the earth, like in the first mountain, but the shaking of the heavens. This is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. <laughs> Please join me in prayer this morning. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you, Father, that you are a Lord that, you know, that has the presence that has a presence in our life and that is willing to, you know, to, to really show us that presence in, you know, these two mountains that we're going to talk about. And I just pray, oh God, that, you know, that revelation, which you're going to do, that you're going to open people's hearts, going to open their spirits, Father, you know, like show them how important you, you know, you want to be in their life and how much you long for that intimate connection, Father, on Mount Zion. You know, that Mount Zion experience. And I just pray, oh Jesus, that, you know, whatever words may be spoken this morning, that you will find a way, you know, to reach to the heart of people. Is that what we want? Amen. <laughs> Amen. So there's a um, letter to the Hebrews. Um, they were people that knew their Bible rather well. And... Um, you know, when they read about the mountain, they immediately knew which mountain they were talking about. They were talking about Mount, uh, Mount Sinai. Everybody know what happened on Mount Sinai? Take commandments, very good. <laughs> so like, um, but Mount Sinai was a, wasn't a pleasant mountain, to say the least. Um, it's described in a way that... Um, you know, this place almost like, uh, I don't know if you guys seen, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings. You know, you get on the, on the end of, the, I believe it's the first movie, you see that, um, you see that, uh, what is the name of the guy? F Fro Frodo, yes, yeah. <laughs> Frodo. You see that at the end of it, he looks, at the end of the movie, he looks at the big mountain in the distance, Mount Doom. <laughs> and, and you see that, you know, he's shivering, you know, while he thinks about it. And uh, although this is a different mountain, the, the image of it is the same. It is brought uh, back to Exodus 19. And it says there on the mountain of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, thick cloud over the mountains. You know, it was smoke was there. You know, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. <laughs> and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. <laughs> It doesn't sound like a kind of mountain we would uh, go to for a day of relaxation, I guess. <laughs> We'd rather go to Mount Kakapuka to do some exercise. <laughs> or not. <laughs> because um, because the, this mountain was a mountain where God was present. This is also God. God was there in Mount Sinai, and if God is there, you know, there's a holiness 
there's a awe, there's an immense power, and you know, like, like, uh, like, like an awe present. You know, I looked at it. How can I describe that mountains or that mountain, Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is the the mountain where God's holiness and man's sinfulness meet together. And looking at my life, I think anybody would recognize, and me too, that they had that mountain at some stage in their life. You know, when when John Bunyan talks about a Christian that's reading the Bible, and, um, and the burden gets bigger and bigger and bigger, then he talks about... You know, the holiness of God on the mountain and the fire and the brimstone and his seeing the problem, seeing how much he needs God, but unable to approach him. He has a burden that he cannot be delivered from. And uh, I don't know if you guys recognize it, but in my life about 17, 18 years ago, it must be now, I, I actually saw that burden for the first time in my life. I saw God coming there, he was talking to me, and he was basically, you know, showing me through people that I talked with, friends, uh, his words, he was showing me that, you know, my inability, inability to please him, and his holiness, you know, didn't mix, that they would never be able to mix, and you know, this is a mountain about man's imperfection. It is a mountain that, um, you know, says it may not be touched. It's a mountain that if you had a donkey, I don't know, you know, if you have a donkey, <laughs> but <laughs> if you had a donkey and a donkey would walk up the mountain, then would be the end of the donkey. <laughs> because his holiness was so big that even a donkey was not allowed to come close to that. Is this a thing you recognize in your life? I mean, it is still a part of God, what I studied. Um, and I studied especially that in the way that um, the Old Testament concept of panim ha Elohim. For uh, people that know Hebrew, that means the face of God. If people talk about presence, the presence of God in the Old Testament, they don't talk about presence, they talk about Panim ha Elohim, or Paniel, or Panim, which means face. So the Bible transcribes presence as the face of God. This is part of the face of God. And I found by studying that for the last couple of weeks that, uh, you know, that the face of God is described in two separate ways. You've got Bible texts that show the face of God, you know, in that Mount Sinai context, that means the innumerable greatness of his presence. If he is present, the world trembles. There's fire, there's everything. And that is Hapanim Elohim as the face of God resembling the God who is able, the God who can, the God who, you know, who is able to move the earth, to tremble. And that's what you see also in, you know, you see that in Psalm 114. And it says there, tremble earth at the presence of God. I love the fact that, you know, that this mountain is a reflection of a God who is not impotent. 
who is so able to do whatever he wants to do. And this is a part that I think we should never, um, we should never forget. And this was a God who was able to, you know, in his wisdom, he was able to give the law as a gift of grace. But it was never meant as a mountain to, to live on. Because you can't live on a mountain where you live in fear every single day. If you live in fear of the living God, if you feel that you still, you now need to prove yourself for him, then, you know, the Bible goes on with the narrative and describes the second mountain that you might find more pleasing. <laughs> this is a mountain that is more, um, you know, more able, where you're more able to dwell on. And although this mountain is a part of my life that I look back on with great joy because it was through this mountain that I saw in my own life that I needed him so much. You know, that he was so powerful. It is a mountain that I could never stay on. And that's what the, uh, that's what the Bible says in Romans 3. It says basically, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our trespassings, our sin. And I mean, that is what it did to me. But again, there, there's, it's not a place where you want to dwell. So where should we dwell? We should dwell on Mount Zion, where the presence of the God is. And, you know, I, I really struggled with, um, you know, with a very fundamental question when I was preparing this sermon. And it is what makes our God really different? You know, what is the real thing that sets our God apart from other gods? Is, is it that, that Sinai God? Is it the God who can, the God who is powerful? And I started looking into that. And I thought, the theologically, it's not what sets our God apart. It, it is the thing that sets our God apart, that he's able and, and that he can. But what really sets our God apart is that he is different. He is different. So he's what they call, there's a moral incomparability. What really sets our God apart is that he is not like you. I like me. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, his ways are not our ways. Imagine that God was like you. <laughs> I, I can tell you in all fairness, if God was like me, then all you guys would be washing my car this afternoon. <laughs> you would be my personal slaves. Uh, and, and my wife would be my chief slave. She probably thinks I'm already your chief slave. <laughs> But I, I mean, we know that as a thought experience, you don't even want to think about being the God of our own lives. But sometimes we are the God of our own lives. And we tend to, to take that control of our own lives. But it's good that we're not. Because Isaiah says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I think one of the biggest revelations that we can have is that, you know, we can trust God because he is not like us. He is the face of God. 
in the second way. And that is when we climb the second mountain, which is Mount Zion. And what is the face of God that we see there? I already said when I studied, you know, Panim Ha Elohim, you know, there were two things that were spoken about the presence of God. One is the God that makes the earth tremble. But what is the second part that is spoken about God's nature? The second part that's spoken about God's nature is completely different. The second part is, for instance, in Psalm 16, God that says, you make known to me your path of life. In your presence, there's the fullness of joy. It's the same face of God. But this time, it's not the God that makes the whole earth tremble. But it's the God that makes your joy complete. And... And, and I love that because in the Old Testament, you see already this kind of, you know, revelations. Some people, they, they, they feel that the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore. But you see these revelations of God's eternal, unified nature in himself. With both parts of the presence available. You know, and he says also in Psalm 51, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. The presence is not something to be feared, what Moses said. For David, the presence was something that he wanted to stay in. And that is the presence of the second mountain, Mount Zion, basically. You know, and it, it, it says here, basically, and it's worked out in the New Testament. So why are we in that manifest presence in that way? It's because of Jesus Christ. And it's the only way that we can really reach him. It says in Jude, uh, like 1, 24, 25, it says here, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Again, that joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. You will never climb that mountain, Mount Zion, without Jesus Christ as a mediator. And I, I love that because we see those two places where God has a manifest presence in our life. We need to show him and glorify him as the God who can, which in a sense is basically um, God's expression of his presence. So he expresses his presence by showing that he can. But we also see him that he uses that expression of his presence to get us closer to him, draw us nearer to him. Let us grow and show basically his love through that presence. And, and, and I love that. And it is man's experience. If we climb Mount Zion and we seek his presence, we come near to him, things change. How do they change? The Bible is full of it. But how do they change how, in, in that form? You know, you, you, it, it's, a, it's a big influence on our life. And I... You know, it's, it's that spiritual change that we, we have. You know, we see God's spiritual nature more. We see prophetic, miraculous kind of things if we climb the mountain. We see relational changes if we climb the mountain. We, we know him deeper. We see, you know, changes in our redemption. That means we don't only know him deeper, but we know his salvation deeper. We see growth by climbing that mountain. From glory to glory, as the Bible says. And I mean... I love that. I love that, you know, we don't longer have to live there. So what does the Bible say about this Mount Zion? But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Note the word living. Living, 
shows living relationship with God. Festal gathering. There's going to be a big party. <laughs> it's going to be like, like, like a majestic eternal barbecue. <laughs> I, 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 just, uh, I, I don't think I described it quite uh, accurate, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, so this, uh, the spirits of the righteousness. You know, like Moses was fearful when God spoke to him from Sinai. Why? Because it, it, it was quite fearful. And, but also because what God said was impossible to hold on to. But we have the spirits of the righteousness. And Jesus, the mediator of a covenant. And I love what it says here. It says it speaks a better word. A better word. Not a, uh, no, not a different word, but a better word. That means God is still a God who is a consuming fire, who is strong and able and mighty. But a better word, because he's also a God that w- wants to draw you near to him now. By Jesus, the mediator. So what is the secret of redemption within the Trinity? It is a very specific thing that the Trinity has. And it's often said that God is the one that ordains your salvation. Christ is the one, you know, that, um, that, uh, that brought it into being. And the Holy Spirit is the one that effectuates it. So practically changes it. Because as much as we live on the mountain, God is also living in us on that mountain. And this is the unity of it. And I, I, what I love about this is that, you know, God is always the same. And, and he's so reliable because he always, you know, he, he was like this and he's still like this. So we can trust on him. So you got the God who, who can, the God of Mount Sinai. You got a God of Mount Zion. And that is the God who will, who wants It's a God who wants to be in your life. So the revelation for me this morning is that, you know, I just need him for that. I need him to show that. I need to see that. I need to set time apart in my life, in my spirit, you know, to to actually see the fullness of God in that way. I need to take time to climb Mount Zion. I need to sometimes sacrifice time to climb Mount Zion. And it's hard to sacrifice sometimes because, um, you know, like if I may say something um, hard, (laughs) Um, maybe, I I just really feel that God is using our, you know, like the, 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 the meeting here, our church, the vehicle of the New Testament church as a way that he wants to show these two aspects of his presence. Um. I believe that God is using the, the New Testament church to work that out. Uh, may I encourage you to be part of that this morning. To climb Mount Zion together. <laughs> and not alone. Because it gets pretty lonely at the top. <laughs> if there's nobody that you can share with. Um, I'm speaking that as a member of this church to all you guys as other members of this church. We need each other. I mean, not because God needs you, but because you need God. <laughs> you need to climb together with others. I, I really believe that in our community, like what a little bit what Craig shared last week in the, you know, in the communion message, we need it because we need to see both parts of the face of God, Hapanim, Ha Elohim, 
in our church. We need to show, show that, that manifest power in our church. But we also want to see that nearness to each other. And, and, and we won't do that if we don't come together in this. But if I may, something a little bit different. You, you guys are not always the most easy persons to get along with. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we... And sometimes it can be a bit of a burden. <laughs> and sometimes, um, you know, I, I rather would like to spend some time somewhere different than with you. <laughs> like, for instance, you know, maybe at the doing sports <laughs> or watching Netflix. <laughs> No, what I want to say is that um, living together in unity is not always so easy. But, um, but that's why we need to get closer to God. We're not climbing a natural mountain. We're climbing a spiritual mountain. And that spiritual change can make it easier for us to get along with each other in that journey. And we sometimes struggle with each other. Just like, you know, like... Anybody does, actually, that you put together with somebody else in the room longer than 15 minutes. <laughs> and I mean, it's just, um, it's just a natural kind of way how we tend to do that. But that's why I said, please open your heart. Because I do believe that if God's speaking to you this morning, I believe he's also talking about each other. You know, the people that we climb the mountain with together. The people that we seek the presence of God with together. That he might tell you that it's time to, you know, to maybe tweak the mindset a little bit. Uh, as he did with me while I was doing this message. Yeah. I really love you guys. <laughs> now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enough. Um, it, it's, it's a bit of a joke, but it's obviously also deadly serious in the same time. <laughs> you know I ask myself maybe to wrap this up because I see the timers standing now on minus 17 seconds. <laughs> I ask myself, um, you know, what is it really the, the way how we, need to be, how we need to be perfected? What is the, the goal in our life in a spiritual sense? Um, John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life. Remember to go back to the first thing, uh, Christian, that shouted, life, life, eternal life. This is what God says. And this is eternal life, that they know you, Jesus' words. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The, you know, the matter, you know, like the, the core matter of all of this is that God is united finally amongst himself in working out our destiny in his triunity by achieving our salvation and our sanctification, letting us grow from glory to glory. But it does need to happen on Mount, Mount Zion because it will never happen on Mount Sinai. And, you know, he's one forever and always in that way. This oneness in purpose and goal 
in so many different ways that his presence, his face, his panima Elohim has shown is, is magnificent. All the New Testament, um, you know, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And even in ourselves, that presence is manifest, you know, because he doesn't live anymore on the mountain, but he lives in us. His spirit lives in us. It teaches us how to pray. It comforts us when we need. The magnificent work of the Holy Spirit as described in the Bible teaches us how to pray, how to communicate with him. And, and we can communicate with him. There's no, you know, there's no kind of like stoning if we come too close to his presence. We are accepted and we are welcomed if we come too close to his presence. And I believe that is the magnificent part of the Mount Zion. And this is what I really would like to see, that, that unity, that thrust together to, you know, to see him in that, you know, in that very prophetic name, what I believe. And I truly believe that when we seek that revelation about his presence in all these different ways, by his spirit, that, that we will see more of him. And he, he will change us from the inside out and not from the outside in as he used to. And I just believe that God uh, yeah, is going to do that work. So if you allow me, then I would love to pray. Speak a blessing over our church, over Zion Church. Speak a blessing. And, you know, like ask God to do his work in molding us together. Jesus, we, uh, we come humbly before your throne. The throne of a God that sees on Mount Zion, a God that is approachable. A God that is willing to change us. I just, Father, want to declare your name a blessing over these people here this morning. I want to, you know, bless them, Father, in their lives. I want to bless them, Father, and ask that you will help them to seek you. I want to ask you, Father, that you will bless them by seeing your full revelation. Both of the God who can and of the God who will and wants to. And that revelation will be... You know, a laughing revelation in your life, how your word says in Hebrews. You know, and that they see the blood that speaks a better word in their life. I just pray, oh Father, for these people this morning. Father, you're going to work through them the next week to sacrifice and unify them. You know, to your purpose, but also to unify them together. You know, that you make this mighty church, you know, Zion Church, like a vehicle where people actually will see your presence both in the sense, you know, of the outworking of your might, but also in the sense of, you know, getting a closer connection to you. And I just, I just pray, oh Jesus, that, you know, in the deeps of our spirit, that you will touch us in that way and that you will change us, God, as only you can, Father, and so willing are to do. And we give all the glory to you this morning, you know, and we, we're willing, Father, and we're expecting to see the outworking of this, you know, of this kind of blessing and, you know, work of your spirit that you've been doing in the hearts for the last half hour. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people say, amen. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Very, very, very good. That was exceptional. I want, you to, I want you to find time this week to listen to that again. We'll make it available on the podcast. It's available on the live stream. But you need to listen to that again. Um, so I'm breaking my rule. Because um, one of the things that I don't like to do as the pastor is get up on the back of someone else's message and and then re-preach a message. But I can't, can't ignore this opportunity to publicly agree 
with the scriptures that have just been shared. But also, God is wanting to do something significant. And for him to be able to do that, he yields himself to your choice. Your choice. Clearly, we are called to climb the mountain and dwell in God's presence and his glory. That is clear. And that message said it really well. So I want you to listen to it again, like I will. But you need to know why. Thank you. God is preparing us for something magnificent that we have not seen. And he's calling us up Mount Zion. Contrast to Mount Sinai. Brilliantly, brilliantly shared just now. As I spent time away this week, I was asking God, Is this, uh, why is this such a challenging time? Why is it so tough for so many people? And the Lord said, I've got to prepare my people to carry my presence. <laughs> that's, that's us. And he wants to do something, but he yields himself to your choice. We're in a, we're in a very special time on the calendar as we lead up to Easter weekend. We don't have tradition like some churches do. We don't have a Lent that we observe properly. But nonetheless, this is a preparation time for what is coming. And as I asked God this past few days to help me as a leader, to see a little bit of what was happening in order that I could do my best to lead us into what God wants to do. The Lord said very clearly that we're the three things that we're going to do that was required as our preparation. And the first one is humility. And we're going to speak about that next week. And I'm going to probably speak about it during the week. Because unless we humble ourselves, we can't come before him. 
be like a donkey that gets burned on the mountain. Second thing that's required is repentance that the purity of God demands. And God is going to speak to you about what you must repent from, remembering that the word repent means to turn. To turn from being the Lord of your life and turn to him. The third thing, which I believe is culminated in the Easter weekend by the victory of Jesus Christ that we celebrate, that Hank so beautifully and eloquently pointed us to, is the breaking out. Because God is the one who breaks out. God is the one who bursts forth. God is the one who brings his goodness into our lives. I don't want to re-preach a message. I want to highlight the significance of what's just been shared with us. And I want to point us forward in a brief, unprepared summary of what God spoke to me over the last three days as I was up the mountain with him. Firstly, his heart is that his people would humble themselves before him. Tuesday, beginning at sundown, we will start a fast, as we do every month. It's the first Wednesday of the month, which is our day of prayer and fasting. Can I, as a leader, call you into a place of obedience and humility to fast from sundown Tuesday to sundown Wednesday, as we do every month? For some of us, it will be a full fast, as we do. For some of you, it will be fasting something important, like Netflix, food or something else. But I'm, I'm inviting you and I'm asking you to join us because when we do this together, there is significant power in our agreement. And at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening, we will meet here for prayer as we do, to break our fast, to conclude our fast. And this week, we will be humbling ourselves before God. Because what Hank has pointed us to is really the, the picture of what God's leading us into, this glory of Mount Zion. But us walking in that is determined by our choice. Please, join us as we walk into that. Thank you. Church, would you stand? I just feel to pray a blessing over us as a, as a family this morning. If you will, if you feel comfortable, would you outstretch your hands? As we've shared before, a blessing is not our expectation of what we want God to show up to and do, but blessing is when God inclines himself to us and allows us to intimately receive of him. As we pray this morning, as I declare blessing, would you know what it means to incline into the presence of God in order that he would incline to you? Father, I thank you for family. I thank you for these people who are willing to go on the journey, willing to yield themselves to your Holy Spirit. Would you bless them? Would your face shine upon them this week?
would they know the greatest presence, the greatest joy of dwelling with you on Mount Zion. Father, would you incline yourself towards us as a family as we learn the definition of what it means to be Zion people and as we learn what it means to be those who will carry your presence in this town in order that others may see you for your glory. God, we honour Hink this morning for the word that he shared. And we honour our senior pastors for leading us up the mountain, even in the challenging season. Be with us, dwell with us, bless your people in order that we may bless others. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for joining with us this week.